Men, you may be seated. Please turn in your Bible to Jonah, the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. Jonah's already got on the boat, <laughs> paid the fare, and is going to run, he thinks, as far away from God as possible. He's in the boat, and God sends the wind and the waves, and Jonah's in the lowest parts, the bowels of the boat, and he's sleeping, and it's a deep sleep. It's that kind of sleep that when you're so tired, you know, you, you start to snore. Jonah's probably snoring. We don't know. They probably can't hear him if he is because the wind and the waves. And then we get, and God throws this wind and waves, this storm on the boat. And he gets his attention and he gets the attention of uh, the, uh, the seamen. The seamen are so afraid and they're so startled at what's going on. And you're like, seamen? These guys have spent their lives on a boat, fishing. They've watched their parents and their grandparents, probably, on the boat, fishing. But the wind and the waves were so much that even the seamen, even these mariners, are freaked out. So they say, and here's God's word, and they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. The men were exceedingly afraid. Let us pray and ask, the God, ask God to open our ears and our hearts to receive the message he has for us tonight. Our Father, we thank you for your holy word and we thank you that it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And we thank you that your, your word accomplishes that for which it was sent out. Holy Spirit, please illumine your word to us and please conform us to our savior jesus christ because we pray it in his name amen it's kind of a harsh message that we have this evening just kind of like the book of jonah just it should weigh on our souls because Christians are not immune to sin. 
and Christians are not immune to the effects of sin. Sometimes it's easy to point at those those sinners that don't know Jesus. Sinners are not immune to sin at all. As we saw in our past two sections in Jonah 1, Jonah, one of God's own people, a prophet chosen by God, is in rebellion. He is on the path of running away, and he does not want to feel God's presence, nor does he want to hear his voice. He was tempted by fear and anger, and he gave in to fear and anger. A man chosen by God for the special purpose of preaching to the nation. So God sends a wind and a tempestuous storm to the exact part of the Mediterranean Sea to the exact place where the ship upon which Jonah was sleeping and at just the precise time, Jonah and the seamen, incidentally, were being punished. They were being disciplined for his rebellious ways. Jonah's sinful actions and his sinful attitude had gripped him, and he had given way to shame. You see, that is the natural effect of our sin. We feel shameful for what we have done. Well, we should. And we feel shameful even that we have not done that, that we have done that while professing to be Christians. Shame and guilt when we give in to temptation and sin, that's what the result will be. Jonah was fleeing the opposite direction God wanted him to go. And not only that, he was curled up in a little ball in the lowest part of the ship, and he was asleep, in deep sleep. His fear and his anger toward the Ninevites and even toward God had brought shame upon him. It was so bad that he was not even able to answer the most basic yet most important question. What is your occupation? What is your job? What do you do? He was asked what he did for a living but he chose to keep his mouth silent. He answered the other questions, but not this one. Have you ever felt that way? Where you have dishonored the Lord Christ and feel so bad that you don't even want others to know that you're a Christian? Because it's shameful. You just did something or said something you shouldn't have. Or you have persisted in it. So, 
why would you want to confess your belief in Jesus? This was Jonah. You see, Jonah was found out and he had to face the repercussions of getting caught. The biblical truth here and throughout the scripture is this. You will get found out. Moses warned Gad and Reuben, and be sure your sin will find you out. And you will definitely have to face the reality of that truth. You will incur discipline for your thoughts, your words, and your actions. And as a Christian, you are already looked at in a different light than a non-Christian. Peter warns us, for example, For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. That's 2 Peter 2, verses 21 and 22. Jonah knew the way of righteousness and he turned from God. How often... We too know what is right, but turn from it in our rebellion. Well, I think there are two truths that you need to understand and meditate upon from our passage today. Just two. As you are going on in this pilgrimage in this world, longing for your heavenly home, but struggle in your sanctification, remember this. One, you will get busted. I don't know if that's what we say nowadays, but that's what we said when I was a kid. You got busted. Your sin will indeed get found out. And secondly, you will need to face the reality of the truth and repercussions for your sin. Well, there is a third as you... I hinted to it in the bulletin, but how many of you, maybe as naive children, thought that if you do something that you knew or that you know you shouldn't do, but do it in secret, that you would get away with it? I know you kids are probably thinking, I know exactly what you are talking about. You think it's just a small sin, maybe taking one or two pieces of candy from the pile at Stater Brothers, or maybe looking at something you're not supposed to be looking at in secret, and then disposing of all the evidence, or cheating on your exams because they were take-home exams, And uh, anyhow, nobody is watching me anyway. Maybe you do this once or twice, but maybe the more you do it, the more of a habit it becomes. You do it more often or even longer for more longer periods of time. And eventually, 
you get caught. A worker at Stater Brothers happens to be restocking the candy and he catches you stealing candy. Your mom opens your door and walks in the room to hang up your clothes to find you looking at something that you shouldn't. Ha. Busted. You think to yourself, it's over now. And a lot of times these little things only affect you. But as with other sins, others can and do get affected by your haphazardness or by your intentional sin. While Jonah was found out, and in his mind, he's probably thinking it's over. The sailors found out who the culprit is, who it is that actually is the source of their current predicament. The sailors find out that they are in trouble because Jonah is being disciplined for running away. In the beginning of verse 7, they're discussing among one another who might be the guilty party. They realize that this terrible storm has come because someone has messed up. They realize that this terrible storm has come because somebody disobeyed the Lord. There's a sense of sin, even in the semen. God's word says that the works of the law are written upon the hearts of every human being, even those who do not believe in him. That's why if you ask anyone on the street if they are a bad person, they'll probably say no. But if you ask if they have lied or cheated or stolen something, they will now they will know exactly what you're talking about. Because God says that nobody is exempt from his law. And everyone has broken it in thought, word, and deed. The seamen are not oblivious to the fact. So they decide that they need to get to the bottom of this. So they cast lots. So what are lots? Well, they're probably similar to dice and probably were of light and dark color. They would throw the dice and whatever color they landed on would determine whatever outcome that they were seeking. In Bible times, this was a way that someone would determine God's will in, in the Old Testament, especially. It was similar to, God, to Gideon's fleece in Judges 6. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. For example, in 1 Samuel 14, lots were cast to see whether Saul or Jonathan was in the wrong. Now, I don't know if you knew this or not, but in the Old Testament especially, casting lots was a common practice. But nowadays, since the closing of the canon of Scripture, we do not resort to casting lots or any other special device or method in determining God's will. Those ancient ways have ceased, but now, indeed, we have a more sure way. We have Jesus Christ speaking directly to us by his word. 
And through Jesus Christ, we have sure and direct access to God through prayer. So the lot fell on Jonah. And Jonah was caught. He was found out. He could not hide in the lowest part of the ship anymore. He could not hide in the deepest of sleep anymore. Say it again, because it's my favorite word. He was busted. Again, a man or woman of God's own choosing for his own purpose, if he or she tries to turn away, he or she will not make it too far. Because since the Lord loves you, he will find you. And he will discipline you as well. For your own good, brothers and sisters, and for his own glory. Remember, he is the God that is full of grace and compassion. But he will hunt you down. He will chase you down. And he will find you out. And it might even be by using someone who is totally in the dark as to who or what God is. Who God himself uses as his own instrument. He'll find you before you find him. As soon as the seamen find out, they hurl five questions at him. One after the other after the other. They are restless. The storm is roaring They have already cast their belongings over the ship. And the ship is now threatening to break up. And if that happens, they will drown. Remember, a broke ship is a sunk ship. The mariners need to get to the bottom of what's going on here. In their mind, all of these questions are important. But probably the first question they ask is the most crucial. Who is responsible for this mess? They know that this disaster has come upon them for a reason. Someone must have messed up big time. Did they do something wrong? And then they ask Jonah because this happened when Jonah was on the boat. The lot fell on Jonah already. So I wonder if this is a more rhetorical question directed at him. Then he asked what he did for a living, probably because he had a religious occupation. They might gain some insight into part of the answer. And the last three questions are related to his origin, where he came from. As we found out in the last sermon... Each person showed homage to his own national deity. And since the sailors are polytheist, they need to know which god they should fear to appease which god's wrath. In that region, there were Ashtaroth and Chemosh, for example. Which god would they bring homage to? You know, if you're involved in some kind of a sin and you were found out by someone, you'd be asked a lot of questions as well. 
especially if your sin has influenced others around you. They too would want to get to the bottom of it. Not only would your sin get found out, but eventually the severity of your sin would get found out too. Especially if you are a leader in the church or even a member of the church because you know the Lord and the reason for which he died, yet you persisted in your rebellion. The effects of sin are contagious. They spread on to others. You know, I heard that COVID was contagious. And so, well, the effects of sin are more contagious. Oh, how we need Jesus, don't we? How we need to trust and hold on to Jesus. Because we are frail. We have the remnants of sin still. We need Jesus. Well, not only will your sin get found out, not only will you get caught sooner or later, you also have to face the reality of your sin and deal with the repercussions of your sin. Your sin will get found out. The severity of it will get found out too. In verse 9, the prophet Jonah was put in a bind where he had to answer the mariner's questions. He had to. And he has to confess to them who he is and what he has done. So in verse 9, we come to Jonah's confession. And with this confession, we see him actually making a creedal statement. He is professing again what and who he believes. And they find out that Jonah, prophet, called by Almighty God, with the purpose of proclaiming God's will, is not living in accordance with his confession. He and his confession, they don't match up. Right away, we see that Jonah avoids the first two questions. If you notice, he skirts around the question of what his occupation is. He is ashamed of his occupation, and he is ashamed of what and who he stands for. Because it is a shameful thing when you are not acting or talking like Christians. You'll be embarrassed that you who trust in the Lord Jesus fail to live your lives as a testimony to him especially when you get caught in the act. And this is what happens. So Jonah's fear and anger, Jonah's disobedience had brought him shame. And so he skips that question. He jumps right down to answering the questions regarding his origin. Where are you from? What is your nationality? What is your ethnicity? And you need to take notice of and pay attention to Jonah's answer here. Because first he says, I am a Hebrew. A term by which the Israelites would explain to the neighboring foreigners, distinguishing them from non-Israelites. The seamen had asked this question probably because Jonah 
probably made himself look like and probably spoke like one of them. But maybe they had a hunch that he was different. Maybe his accent or his appearance. So Jonah confesses that he is a Hebrew and that he fears the Lord. The Lord, Yahweh, the one God whom he gave his homage to. He was the only one who he believed in and worshipped. There were ethnic Hebrews, the Israelites, whose hearts were far from the Lord, who had already given themselves over to the worship of false deities. Baal worship was already rampant within the borders of Israel. People had already traded the worship of the one true God with the worship of false gods. Astaroths and Chemosh. You know, there are people within the church, the visible church, that are not part of the invisible church. There are those who make false professions. They get baptized because others are watching but have never experienced regeneration and do not have faith in Jesus Christ and are not truly saved. They go to church, but they worship the false god of self. Maybe they are there for attention. You need to be careful. All of us need to be careful. You need to examine your hearts constantly and ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. So Jonah says, I fear the Lord. That is a big statement. Because he says, I worship the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. He was brought to his senses. God had woken him up, and he was reminded of that great truth And he was sharing about his God with the guys on the boat. Brothers and sisters, our God will never let you go for the sake of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. He says he's the God of heaven. In a polytheistic world, Jonah points out that he worships the supreme ruler of the universe. He is the one God above all. This would have awakened those seamen to the fact that he was the one who caused the wind to blow and the waves to rise, causing fear in their hearts. Because he's sovereign over everything. All other gods are nothing. They are only creations made by wood, or stone. They're only made up in the human heart. As Calvin said, our hearts are idol factories. And God made the sea and the dry land. He created all things out of nothing. Ex nihilo. That means he even created Jonah and the mariners. And so they owe him their homage and reverence. They owe him 
their lives because he is the one who gave them life and breath and everything. The confession of verse 9 is really important to understanding the entire book of Jonah because it is the focal point of this book. It is all about God. As I said before, the main character in the book is not the big fish. And more importantly than Jonah, the main character of the book is God. And Jonah makes this confession, which guides his decisions and the unfolding of the rest of the book. Well, the men responded. And the sailors' response was one of intense fear. The Bible says they feared a great fear. That's what it means. Jonah had confessed who's in charge and who all the people owe their lives to. Jonah had told them who caused the storm and their knees are shaking. The blame was finally put in the right place on Jonah. And they ask him, what is this that you have done? It's like when your mom catches you in the wrong and asks, what do you think you're doing? How could you? Now the mariners really need answers because they knew that Jonah had fled from the presence of the Lord. And he had confessed his sin to them. Congregation, do you fear the Lord? Do you know what it means to fear the Lord? Because there is a holy reverence that is due to him alone. To fear the Lord is to know him and to worship him. But you would only fear God if your spirit was enlightened by his Holy Spirit. And you would only have that if you knew and believed in Jesus Christ for salvation. Were the sailors in a right relationship with God here? We don't know. The text uses his covenant name here, Yahweh, and they recognize his power here. But those outside of Israel recognize many gods. And an argument could be made that in light of the circumstance, they are almost about to die, that they would call out to whomever they needed to be saved. And Jonah had just shared this covenant name with them. Also, you cannot dismiss that they are trembling in fear of the true God. But everyone on the boat that day were awoken and they were brought to their senses. Now, everyone knows who to blame. But Jesus, just as Jesus was there in the fire with Daniel's friends, just as Jesus was there in the lion's den, Jesus was there in the boat with them. If, uh, if God wanted to, he could have caused the boat to be shattered with the first gust of wind and the first crashing of the waves. 
But Jonah was one of his own, whom the Lord had protected and preserved for himself. Jonah was being chastised for his wrongdoing, and the sailors happened to be there and felt the repercussions as well. And Jesus, Jesus himself, was chastised for your rebellion. Jesus was chastised for your attempts to run away. He was chastised for your trying to hide from God. He was chastised for your not living in line with your confession. He was chastised for your attempts at denying him. He took the shame and the guilt due your sin and laid them upon himself. Jesus became sin. Who knew no sin that you might be righteous. Jonah confessed Yahweh. He confessed, when, we, when he confessed Yahweh, he confessed the great I am. And when you say you believe in Yahweh, you believe in Jesus Christ, who also in the book of John confessed that he is I am. He was there with the Father when the Father and the Spirit hovered over the earth when he created the heavens, the sea, and the dry land. He was there with Jonah in the boat and all of his disobedience and rebellion. Important question tonight as I draw this sermon to a close. Are you confessing Jesus? He is the only one worthy of all praise, honor, blessing, and adoration. Are you confessing Jesus? Each one of you, including me, we all have sin. And it's dirty. And it's disgusting and it stinks. But Jesus stood in our place and took that wrath that was due all of our sin. And that's good news. I urge you all, get right with the Lord. Confess Jesus tonight. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you that Jesus is the one that bore all of the shame and guilt and punishment that was rightly due us. Jesus is the great Savior from our sin. And so we ask that you would help us from the bottom of our hearts and all that we have to confess Jesus Christ tonight and every day and every moment of our lives. And we know that you will do this because we ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.